Hello and welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Jesse Parker Humphreys and Jilly Flatty. Jilly, we missed you. Been a week, but you know, I only do the big pods now, don't I? Mark yeah. Parsons, you know? yeah, only only the big ones, no Mondays anymore. Too busy, too booked and busy. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm soon in for a Monday, don't no, I? No, soon, couple of weeks, soon, yeah, yeah. Have you back after you're still doing your teaching? Malarkey. Yeah, after half term break, how's it going? It's all right, it's yeah. good, it's a, it's a good little mix. Yeah, you know, I, I get to teach the children how to play PE and how to do different sports, and then I get to talk about football. So it's a nice little blend. That's what you want, it's the magic. It's stopping both. the urges a little bit for motherhood. I was going to say, is it put you off having kids? Yeah, it's just delaying it, a really? especially if, when I have to do reception because that is tough. Yeah. Well, I feel like it probably does have that effect on people. Uh, there's something we really need to talk to you about though. Wait. What is this? This is what you were talking about last night. Yeah, so there was a tweet that went out (laughs) where a Twitter user referred to you as, or referred to Sharida Spitzer as the Dutch Jilly Flatty. Do you agree? My questions are why. Yeah, why? Is it looks? I think it's looks and vibes. Looks and vibes. I think they're kind of onto something. No, but to be fair though, when I did look at one of her pictures, I thought, I can see a little bit, yeah. a little bit. You, do, you had the same hairdo when you when you played football. When it was, yeah, when it was slick. Yeah. yeah. Um, she does just look, though, like a proper, like, muscle <laughs> meathead. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, do you no comment. Jilly, <laughs> you said you weren't ripped when you were playing. No, I don't think I've ever been ripped, Flo, in my whole 32 years of existence. Um, no, but then obviously, Jessie did say potentially it was the technical side of things. Which yeah, and that too. I can see as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just think no, a no-nonsense player, someone yes. you can rely on to make yeah. the tough tackles. And I did see her interview after the game mm. where she got very emotional. I thought, I've been there. You are an emotional Been person. there, done that, got the T-shirt. I've cried on the telly before. I, think, so. I do think you have a similar energy, and I mean that in a great way. Like similar icon status. Yes, yeah, 100%. Okay, I'm going to take it as a compliment then. Yeah, we got, we got I'm some... I'm going to push it to that complimentary side. Yeah, we got some agreements on Twitter as well, I'd say. A lot yeah. of people were... She has had such a weird career, you know. Yeah, you were Showed on her wiki, spitzer. weren't you? I was on her wiki and I just didn't realise, like, what a random... You talk about me or her? <laughs> <laughs> no, you've had an iconic career. Yeah, like, yeah she's played for some random clubs I think it's because she really came to everyone's sort of like knowledge through national team yes. right and then it's like I haven't actually massively followed her club career and then her ending up at Ajax seemed like the most normal logical thing but then when you do look at her clubs you're like oh she played there she played there and you wouldn't really know because you just think of her playing she's like basically level. played in Norway and the Netherlands and yeah. like that's it I was like wow not many people have kind of kept it that local anyway yeah. That's a good one, guys, if you're ever playing for quiz. Go and learn Charity Spitzer's career. Immaculate footy, women's football edition. Yeah, She's yeah. going to come up. Yeah. She's going to come up. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the final round of UEFA Women's Champions League group games from Tuesday and Wednesday night. There was a lot of fun, a lot of chaos. And we're also going to be talking through some of our... Like looking back on some of our predictions uh, and this sort of, I guess, halfway stage of the competition, who are some of the, the players that we'd enjoyed watching so far? And we're going to talk a little bit about the WSL transfer window, which closed on Wednesday night. 
Not anything like I would say super dramatic, but very much interesting transfers, especially involving some young players. So let's get into it. Right, Jesse, I'm going to start with Chelsea, but I want to keep this brief. I don't want us to get into the weeds of this game against Paris. <laughs> You're trying to stop this being Chelsea pressed. I'm trying to stop us being Chelsea pressed, <laughs> but also I feel like we can't read too much from this result because Chelsea made a ton of changes. Obviously, I actually think when I was looking at stats for Paris and how they've done in this group stage, they've actually done quite well, but it was always going to be, I think, a struggle for them to maybe try and push out of this group but yeah it was kind of a weird game because of all those changes and a lot of the Chelsea defence especially sort of playing like they'd only just met each other let alone been playing with each other on the training what's ground what's new to be honest <laughs> um, and there were some big moments actually for Paris and some chances but they just couldn't finish their dinner and I think they'll be really frustrated because, especially after conceding that first goal, they had some really, really, really good moments. But it was just like the chances that they could try and capitalise from Chelsea being a bit messy, they didn't do that. So, yeah, I feel like the performance as a whole from Chelsea, like, I don't think it tells us loads. No, but it's very rare in football to ha- to go and play a game that just means absolutely nothing. It's like quite a unique opportunity. And it was interesting to see some of the players who haven't played as much. I think Yelena Chankovic is probably the player who was most impressive sort of from that group. Um, Also kind of coming in from the wilderness a little bit. Yeah, well, she's had injuries, but it's not entirely clear how much of her being out is injury related Mm. and is just like not being picked. Um, I think it was only her second start of the season, but she looked really good, I thought. Um, And she got two assists uh, in that first half. Otherwise, yeah, it was a strange one. Chelsea scored four goals from four shots on target. They made it very comfortable themselves. And I think after Mia Fischel got the second, it just felt like Paris knew that it was going to be beyond them. They had to win and hope Hecken didn't beat Real Madrid and Hecken beat Real Madrid in the end anyway. So I think Paris sort of had already missed out on qualification even before they played for Chelsea. But obviously from a Chelsea perspective, the game went about as well as they could have hoped for. Like, yeah, they didn't look great, but... They had an opportunity to rest a number of players, to start players who hadn't started a load of games. Um, you know, like give Beaver Jones her first Champions League start. Really <laughs> confident win. And you get to go home and get ready for Everton on Sunday. Yeah, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a luxury, wasn't it? Jilly, what did you make of Chelsea's performance in this game, but actually kind of more wider in the group stage because you've covered quite a lot of their games in the group stage so how do you think they're looking I just think in like watching obviously their their group games and covering them is just for me it's it's been a worry in regards to putting the ball in the back of the net Um, and I do think it was the same against Real Madrid that the first half it was sort of they had chances they couldn't put them away obviously it's difficult because obviously now they're playing without Sam so it's trying to obviously whether Ramirez obviously goes in there whether you still got to try and adapt to play to someone different when I was watching against Paris when they played them at home Real Madrid at home it was the sort of first half was they had chances but couldn't put them away um, and I do think that's just been a worry for me with Chelsea it's just that obviously they was clinical against Paris if they're obviously getting four goals from four shots on target but it hasn't always been like that mm. um, and then I feel like when and both teams have played in one of at the Stamford Bridge in regards to Paris and Real Madrid is that if both of them actually had someone who could put the ball in the back of the net it could have been a different story in both of them games they wrote 
rode their luck a little bit with that. But again, I think, I mean, it's great for them that they was able to rotate against Paris. But it's just one of those ones where I said this year, as much as you want Chelsea to play really pretty football, and that ain't the answer at the end of the day. The main thing is they get the result. And I think every Chelsea fan, if they went on and won the Champions League but played poorly it wouldn't matter to them because they've won the ultimate goal. And that's what I think it is. You Sometimes you've got to ride your luck with it. But the main thing is that you're getting the points and you're getting through the stages. And I think historically in the Champions League, Chelsea have always relied on a little bit of luck. There's There's been a lot of nervous moments in all of their runs late on in the competition where they have had to rely on things kind of going their way. And I agree with you, Julie, watching... The Real Madrid game, watching the Paris game, thinking, man, like there were some very nervy moments. Could have been a very different story in both those games. I want to give some credit to Paris because they finish third in the group with seven points. They came into this group, the giant killers, having beaten Arsenal and Wolfsburg. They finished on Tuesday night as kind of a bit of a gag because... Obviously, Chelsea fans were saying, like, are these the giant killers? It's more a gag to Arsenal and Wolfsburg, I guess, than Paris. But I want to give them some credit because when I was looking at kind of defensive stats, per 90, only Chelsea, Lyon and Barcelona have conceded fewer shots than Paris, which is actually impressive. And I think from a defensive point of view, I think they've done really well. And there's some very old, experienced players who are getting intense European game time that I don't think a lot of them probably expected to have. And I think they've done really well and held their own in this group and not embarrassed themselves when <clears throat> Real Madrid have thoroughly embarrassed themselves. I think Paris would have looked, been looked at in this group as the whipping boys. I mean, Julie Sawyer... 38 years old. The woman looks like she could be my mum, for God's sake. She looks like she, she's seen some shit. And I think they deserve a lot of credit. I think there's a lot of players who perform really well against all expectations. So I want to shout out Paris because I feel like it's I think you've been way too nice to them. I what? kind of think they bottled this. I really what, the do. The group stage as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, I think to beat Real Madrid home and away, obviously that's a great result, but I think we all know like Real Madrid aren't the team that the name kind of suggests they are. To lose and draw with BK Hecken, who are out of season, yeah, they've been good and credit to them for going through. Obviously, it's all about like getting the wins and getting the points, but I think to have got to the group stage, this was a really, really good opportunity to come through the games. It was a nice through. group. It was a good group. It was a really, really good opportunity to go through and I kind of think internally they probably feel like this was a missed opportunity. I think it was a missed opportunity, but I still think they deserve a lot of credit for not just getting there, but holding their own in a lot of these games. And I think that Chelsea game in Sanford Bridge, prime example. And it's very frustrating. They lost it 4-1. <laughs> no, but I think those, it's very frustrating watching them thinking, if you did have a player who could finish, you're creating a lot of opportunities, but you are just not making the most of those chances. I don't I think their, like... their goalkeeper's not helped them now at all. No. They saved a lot of penalties. But in the, you look at that Chelsea game, was it Sam Kerr's goal, where she literally turns her back to it and got a clue where the ball is mm. and then in the last game as well she let one go yeah, through yeah one went underneath her yeah through her legs yeah. and I just think I don't think she's helped them either there's like green shoots 
And I want to give them credit for you're too nice. Far. You're too nice. No, Flo. I think they. I think they. I think they've done. I think they've done all right. And I think also when you look at their squad compared to some of the other teams in this competition, I'm like, literally, we've got so many randoms here. Daphne Corboz, who's had an uh, an, icon- an iconic group stage, just this random thirty year old who's like half French, half American. Let's shout out these old timers who've been through it. Because like I'm sick of these young European elite getting too much credit. I want, you know, the the old wrinklies of this group stage <laughs> to be getting their flowers, all right? Okay. So respect. Okay. Respect. Respect your elders. Respect Jesse. your elders, literally. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Uh, let's talk about Real Madrid because it was a humiliating group stage for them. They finish... With just one point. Which they cheated their way to. I was going to say, the only reason they have that point (laughs) is because of a ridiculous penalty and an offside that shouldn't have been offside. So... Oh, my God. We knew that without Caroline Weir, it was going to be tricky. Olga Kamona also missing out on a few games. But still, Jesse, this is a fucking embarrassing group stage. Yeah, they're bad. They are like, really Real bad. Madrid are bad. Um, I did think they played better against us at Stamford Bridge than they did in the away game, but I don't really know what to like say about the team. Like they rely so much on sort of like individual brilliance, and obviously last year that came in the form of Caroline Weir. A lot of the time, she's not been available to them, obviously as a result of her injury, and it just feels like you know they're looking to sort of younger players to to provide those moments and young players are going to struggle to have that kind of consistency I think everyone knows that like Linda Caicedo is clearly like an amazing talent but she's going for a big step up in her career you know and you can't expect someone like her to pull it out the bag every game equally you can't expect sort of Olga Carmona to pop up with like a rocket shot every game and or win a dodgy penalty to stick away (laughs) (laughs) that was Athenia del Castillo and I'm not including her in the talented bit of Real Madrid because I hate her but yeah I I think as a club, they're just a bit of a mess. I don't understand why they keep Toral in charge. It's been very apparent for a while that this is the situation Real Madrid are in and it won't change while he's in charge, but it doesn't really seem like the club care. Yeah, I was going to say, people have been on his case for a while now and it hasn't made a difference because even like, I just feel like I see non-stop hate on the timeline and people saying he's, they got to get rid. But it does feel like one of those situations where the rest of the club just aren't really tapped into what's happening in the women's team. And it's just about like, if they ask for a pot of money to buy a recognisable European or international player, it's like, yeah, here you go. But no, like, Well, it's not even because they wanted Natalie Bjorn and then Everton were like, okay, pay us <laughs> yeah, this amount. True. Money and they were like, no, can we have her for like a quarter of that prize? And then Everton were like, no, Chelsea, you're going to give us the money. Bye. Yeah, true, true. You're right there. So actually, where's the long-term football strategic thinking? I don't think it's anywhere to be found. Another team that has dropped out of this stage of the competition, not going through to the knockout rounds, Bayern Munich, a big name with big players. They were in a really tough group, Jilly, to be fair to them. Like Group C, probably the best ever Women's Champions League group that we may ever see. So tight, so many good teams in there. But they miss out and that is tough because also there was one point where they were going through. So it was a very kind of like back and forth situation for them. And Roma also miss out who got to the quarterfinals last year. So, you know, it it was a tough group to be in. But for them not to get through... It's pretty disappointing. 
Yeah, I think it's big. And I think you're looking at, obviously, the signings that they made, especially with Ericsson and Harder, was to go there and to not just challenge in the Champions League, but to progress further with the hope to look to progress to winning it. Do you know what I mean? So I think, yeah, it's a big statement. But I think with Champions League as well, obviously, just from my experience with Chelsea, is that your name means nothing in the sense of... You know, yeah, you could be the Chelsea or you're looking at obviously like Paris, for example, or Hecken in that group. Like people wouldn't actually have been speaking about Chelsea and Real Madrid. And I do agree that I think, and I've said this every time I've watched Real Madrid, is that people think because of their name that they're going to be similar to the men's game. That's how good they're going to be. And that's not the case at all. And I think that as well, when I saw that they were um, with the promotion of the tickets and stuff with Real Madrid and stuff, and I was just a bit like, people were going, oh, I want to go because it's Chelsea playing Real Madrid. And I was like, but it's, if you knew Real Madrid, you would understand. <laughs> you don't know what you get yourself up for. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's the same with the the other groups is that it will only carry you so far. Mm. And I think that's, that's what we wanted is we want groups to be tighter. We want them to be more competitive. Um, but yeah, I think especially after the, the statement signings that they made, they'll be thoroughly disappointed that they didn't get out of that group. George Stanway own goal as well. It's quite oh, a tough one to take. And we need to talk about Damjanovic whipping a shot off to celebrate yeah, so the winner. In this one, honestly, the end of Group C, both games, just just amazing finale. And if you haven't watched the, the highlights or watched back those games, please do because... The Group C just honestly had it all right till the last second. But yes, the game's 2-all. The lead's been kind of back and forth. The Stanway own goal makes it 2-all. At this point, PSG are advancing. Damjanovic is so a million miles offside, but I guess is either pretending she isn't or doesn't realise. She slides home what she thinks is a stoppage time winner... The flag doesn't go up straight away. Her shirt is off. She's knee sliding into the corner flag and the substitutes. And then the lines woman flag goes up and it is rightly called offside. And we have seen, and we saw it Wednesday night as well, some dodgy offsides in this competition. But for once, they actually flagged it right. And she was miles off. But obviously it's heartbreaking because... I shouldn't laugh because I wouldn't be able to like... Show my face again. I'll get subbed off, mate. I know. What was the end oh, of the we, game? Oh, well, I won't get subbed off. But <laughs> she, she, they, they would stop the game. Stop They'd be like, game. I need to make a stoppage time. Ref's going like, Ginny, it's over. Ginny's like, no, no go please. to the bench. Put that ball up now and get me off this pitch. That's embarrassing. Yeah, it was It was, It was. was truly embarrassing. And like, I guess, you know, you've got to shoot your shot. You've got to bank on the lineswoman maybe not seeing it. But she was <laughs> miles off. And they didn't have the Hollywood ending that they thought they might. Jesse, before we move on to the fairy tale that has been Ajax in this competition, Bayern, second in the Frauen Bundesliga right now, only a point behind Wolfsburg. So like their season ain't over, but we now obviously have no German team in the last eight, which is massive in itself. For the first time ever, I believe. Yeah, Wolfsburg not making it obviously to the group stage. It does feel like it's really knocked by and rightly and the, the second half of their season now looks you know a bit crap Alexander Strauss there's been a lot of criticism of his management reluctant to make changes until quite late on and then the impact of that and I think a lot of people were talking about this on Tuesday night but there's this sort of like 
obsession with trying to defend the lead and get yourself into trouble rather than trying to kind of be proactive and like see out a game in a more confident and comfortable way. How do you see this impact in the rest of their season? Yeah, for a team, I think that has the quality of players that they have. They feel very boring mm. to watch. Um, I must admit, I was seeing little bits of this game, but I obviously was watching my Ajax girls on uh, Tuesday night. But I did watch Bayern play Hoffenheim as well at the weekend because obviously I was supporting the Hoffenheim girls too. <laughs> and they, the Hoffenheim girls were bad, but so were Bayern. And I was like, I expect this from Hoffenheim. I don't expect it from Bayern. And they're just, it's just really stodgy in possession all the time and it feels like their recruitment's always been very strange because they're obsessed with recruiting central like players you want to play in the mm. middle and then obviously you've got Clara Ball and like she's a very talented player but they've got no real sort of like speed and width and they do have two fullbacks in sort of Gwyn and Naschenberg who like to get forward who can be very dangerous in attacking areas but it feels like they struggle to know when those players are going to go it just feels like yeah very very stodgy football I think they struggle to like create good chances for Shula, even though we know she's a very good finisher. Yeah, I don't know. I I just really don't enjoy watching them as a team, which I think is just kind of quite damning in itself when you look at the players they've got available. I know, for example, obviously, what a surprise, hard as missed a big chunk of the season because she's injured. Magda Eriksson is obviously also now out injured. So. And Sidney Lohman's missed quite a lot for L- Lohman's actually played more than I would have expected but yeah Lohman you can also rely on to be out at different <laughs> points in the season they obviously sold Lena McGall because she's fallen out of favour and I she's... wanna can I just can we just stop the pod and say pour one out for Lena McGall because she's my gal and she's the gal that they need right now yeah well she is smashing she's, it it's, she's fitted right her in Milan, into Milan her so... Milan mental health break is doing <laughs> wonders for her but I, again I think that obviously sometimes like Players and clubs aren't the right fit anymore. I'm not saying like, I don't think we know entirely obviously what went on there, but like to sort of have your club captain no longer be your club captain and be sold like within six months. I would be writing. I don't know. It just feels like that whole, the whole vibe is off to me. Something um, something funny going on in Bavaria, that's what I say. Yeah. Should get some of our best detectives on the case <laughs> and find out. Let's talk about your Ajax girls. You, wow. Wow. Everyone who joined me in buying stocks in Ajax early, we are living. Well, I think we had them down in our predictions, didn't we? We were going quite hard on I the hipsters' choice. I said on the they hipsters could do choice. It. We were going hard on the hipsters' choice and they've delivered. But Jesse, it's come at a good time because you've got some credit in the bank as well because you recently did an interview with the GM. She kept calling herself. Oh, she was really, really lovely. And obviously it's amazing to an interview in a, a language. But, but you're going to drag her. You're going to drag her. first language. But she kept calling herself the head of women. <laughs> Which I was like, great title. I need to get this job as head, head of, of women. women. Yeah, but Daphne Costa, she's the head of women's football. Um, head so of I women. spoke to her before <laughs> game week five, their fifth game in, in the Champions League. Obviously, at that point, they could have qualified in that game, but they couldn't get the result they needed. So I think to go and manage to get through in the, in the final match um, was really exciting. All thanks to the Dutch Julie Vlasi. I'll take full credit but, for that. <laughs> uh, and her fantastic corner that saw them. But yeah, they've had specifically had a great set of home form in this Champions League. And it's really interesting. Costa was talking to me about how 
they'd sort of been planning and thinking about this for a while and being aware that they would have to play at the Johan Cruyff Arena and making sure they had started having league games there sort of last March because she wanted to like make sure that the players were used to it and used to that atmosphere and it feels like that has really paid off. They're obviously in this bizarre situation where they've kind of got rid of the manager for the end of the season, um, Susanna Baca, like they're not renewing her contract. But yeah, and they're not having an amazing time of it in the league. Like FC20 are kind of like on this mad, mad tear. But yeah, it's amazing for them and Dutch football. And I do think what they've done really well is got this blend of experience, Switzer being a prime example, with some exciting young domestic talent some really really young talent as well so I feel like there's there's longevity there as well which I think is important even though you know you sell sell your best player to Arsenal in Pulover and you would think oh like you're really going to struggle but actually I think the the recruitment and the sort of transition of players is is really impressive yeah and Costa basically said that you know they were aware that they're never going to be able to like attract the best players or hold on to these players and the, the classic Ajax way is sort of about youth development, but like how that they also saw that as an opportunity to do well. And that's kind of paying off. And I think, you know, it feels like lots of the young players who are coming through, they're getting better as well because there's trust placed in them by the club. And something else she was also talking about is like how they really want to see sort of players in this holistic way. So it's not just about what they're doing on the pitch. It's like how they can support them off the pitch. And I know like lots of people do kind of say that, but I think when you sort of see the reality of the players Ajax are putting out and the way they're performing, that's really exciting. Julie, have you heard about Lily Johannes? No. 16-year-old She's Dutch, very, very American good. sensation. Everybody's talking about. I'm Everybody's glad you talking added about their, Lily. Um, uh, second name in because when you said Lily, I was like, of course I know Lil. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know mean? your girlfriend, <laughs> Lil? Oh my god, I've never thought that Lil's name is Lily. In my yeah, head, she's Lily, just always yeah. Lil. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's actually Lily. Wow. There Breaking news. <laughs> I don't ever call her Lily though. Um, there's a bit of a fight, Jesse, at the moment. This could be quite funny, I think. This yeah. this is a real fight to the death of who she's going to play for because she is a hell of a talent. She's been playing a lot in the Champions League at 16, which is just ridiculous. I'm not. I was going to ask you what you were doing at 16, but you were playing for Arsenal at 16. So, <laughs> well, I was. Let me just correct that. I was on the bench at Arsenal. I mean, we weren't really playing. You were in I the was squad. A, yeah, I was in the squads. I was number one sport. I didn't go uh, when I was at 16. I didn't leave to go and and play for another team. I decided to stick it out at the mm. best club at the time and fight for my place, which I eventually got when I was like 18. There you go. That's, that's the don't story. Don't happen no more. <laughs> People don't do it like that anymore. <laughs> These kids. But Jessie, yeah, she's she's been killing it. But there is a bit of a battle about whether she's going to play for the US or she's going to play for the Netherlands. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Who do you think is going to win out? Well, it's interesting, yeah. So she moved to the Netherlands when she was 10. So she obviously has, you know, like a genuine connection with the, the country. And I don't know, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, it's quite hard, I think, from the outside to know how a player feels about that kind of stuff. We saw it, I guess, on the England men's side with Jamal Musiala, who'd spent loads of time in England, but just said, like, ultimately, he feels like he's German, and mm. that's why he wanted to play for Germany. And I think you can see that kind of going either way for someone like Lily Johannes. Obviously, there's like this kind of funny precedent where Damaris was eligible to play for the US or for Spain and the Dutch won her over. And it'll be interesting to see if they can do the same with Johannes. I, I kind of imagine that if you're part of like a Dutch 
team and you've, you're surrounded by Dutch players that maybe that does there kind of be an influence sway yeah. you that way. But yeah, I, I think there's going to obviously be a big fight on getting her to. And where has she played on age groups so far? She's played. She has played for the US, I believe, in yeah. the past in age groups, but has also played for the Dutch under 19s. So where would you go if you had the choice, Jill? Oh, I USA don't know, you know. or I think, Netherlands? I mean, they're obviously great options. I mean, it's like it's pretty good to have both to pick from. I think I would go. Oh, it's tough because you'd think, okay, I'll probably get more game time going with the Netherlands. The temptation of being like with the most successful national side in women's football, the setup there, all of that talent. I think that that might lure me to go to the US. I also think that Emma's got a part to plan that because yeah. I know it's not the same, but when I was leaving school, yeah, I was going to the Loughborough and obviously that was the English Football Academy and Emma was the assistant manager for Arsenal and she said, no, you need to come to the... But she was also the head of the Arsenal Academy, so she ran it. She was like, no, 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 you need to come to the Arsenal Academy because we'll be able to see more. Da, da, da. So she was like, listen... Just let me take you for a tour around London Colney. Sit down with your mum and dad. We'll have a cup of tea. Then you can make the decision. And I went there and I was instantly sold to go to Arsenal. When the past three, four years, I was, uh, even at 12, I was going, I'm going Loughborough, I'm going Loughborough. So I think if Emma rates her and what she will do, everything she possibly can to win her over a million percent. She'll start putting in the groundwork. Yeah, I can only imagine how much Julie must... You're such a saleswoman, you know, to come across <laughs> Emma Hayes, a master of the art of yeah. She taught me all I know about sales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all that commission is thanks to one yeah. Emma Hayes. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Let's talk about PSG as well, because I think... I was we were I think we were when we were doing our predictions we were all a bit lit built little bit like ugh, sometimes they can do great stuff they have an unreal front three sometimes they can be super stodgy like it felt like they were in last season's competition but they come out of this crazy group as group winners so we kind of have to put some respect on their name I have so much so we've obviously talked sort of a bit about Bayern and them feeling quite dull they're like PSG are the opposite they're just like Okay, we've got some really good players in like Chewinga, Baltimore, obviously Katoto's back. We're just going to try and get them the ball as quickly as possible and hope they do something with yeah. it. And I respect that. I think there's too much tactical focus in the women's game. And some teams, if they can't do the tactics, just need to lean back into vibes. Just and kick and run and see what happens. I Transition football, PSG. baby. Yeah, and every year they one of their really good players will go and sign for Leon. And they just find someone else with better <laughs> yeah. vibes to pop up. And they say, and do the same give a thing. shit, watch yeah. this bitch. Yeah, so they're in a really strong position to make the semi-finals yep. because the second place teams, I think it's fair to say, all feel like a rung below the first place teams. Obviously, you've got two legs as well, which I think makes it harder to have an upset. They're obviously an absolutely crazy club, but I kind of, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. And also, I think it is really interesting and it's silly to take things off of one season, obviously, but it is fascinating that the French League, like, I, I can't say I watch a huge amount of it, but... We were very nearly in a position where three French teams went into the quarterfinals. As I say, I kind of think Paris FC should be annoyed that they didn't. No German teams there at all. And I feel like that league maybe deserves 
also some more respect. I'm hearing what you're saying. You're saying put some respect on Paris FC's name. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad we got back there in no, the end. I'm saying put some respect on Division 1 Alkema. <laughs> wow, beautiful pronunciation. Yeah, and I want to shout out Joinga as well because she's had a brilliant Champions League. I will admit that she wasn't super on my radar until that qualification game against Manchester United and I was like who is this chick and where has she been all my life into Milan and now Milan mental health (laughs) and now the stocks are high so when you look at what they've got it's like wow that front three is just phenomenal let's talk about Barcelona before we kind of wrap this thing up Barcelona during 4-0 with Benfica. Benfica, one of my favourite teams in the Champions League. Obviously, big Chloe Cass fan. She was there. Big Jessica Silva fan. There's a lot to love. They can't keep a clean sheet to save their life. But man, will they just keep trying and trying and try again. When you look at this result, I'm sure lots of people think, oh yeah, but Barcelona were already through. Benfica were already through. I bet Barcelona just played like the kids. No, 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 no. This was a very strong Barcelona team. All the classics out there. Benfica were extremely close to winning this game 4-3. Yeah, the only thing I will say, it was a strong Barcelona team, but they weren't playing their first choice goalkeeper. Well, and that's I the main difference. That was a crucial Fon- distinction Fon- star- in this game. started. But I also think, like, they weren't tons of howlers. No, no. But I do think that she made was maybe saves. unsettling. And yeah. there, it wasn't the best in the world you know but yeah no I think it's great and it's kind of like fun that Benfica was obviously in a position where because they were through I feel like you can kind of go for it in a way that because again it was like a match that didn't really matter and I feel like it's really enjoyable to be able to get a result like that I think Benfica are a great example of a team who've really really benefited from playing Champions League group stage football I think you know you're obviously your love for them Benfica are to you what Ajax are to me yeah, like they're true, the teams we invested in and now hey look at us look Champions at League quarterfinals baby paid off. <laughs> wow but I just think they've they've really grown into themselves as a team I think and obviously gain more confidence from you know they were in a really tough group last year with Barcelona and Bayern Munich but then they also had this weird thing where they were also in the group with Rosengard and that's obviously sort of one of the teams they've been able to get one over in in terms of being able to qualify Um, sorry I know we started off talking about Barcelona but yeah I just think Benfica good vibes well let's shift on to Barcelona Gilly I want to shift back on to Barcelona because they have been on a ridiculous run in this competition and like domestically and I certainly had them still down as the favourites and I don't think this this game maybe changes it that much but this is the first time they've dropped points since May last year when they lost to Madrid CFF so 23 successive matches it's an unreal run but I I guess is it kind of interesting to see that they can be a little bit fragile and there's ways to get at them? I think with any team, though, we'll have strengths and they'll have weaknesses and it's about how you target those weaknesses and when you do get chances against the bigger teams you have to make sure you take them you know because you know that they might be limited um, and few and far between but yeah I think when you're looking at the Barcelona squad and I also think just that that confidence you know if they know how to win and even yesterday obviously Lucy Bond's getting a was it 96 minute or something equaliser like it reminds me of Chelsea as well how Chelsea always find a way to win um, and you can never ever write them off but yeah I think Barcelona will 
I think they are the favourites to, to go all the way. But again, if people will be looking at that at Benfica and thinking, well, how did they manage to put four past them? And like I said, with, with any team, they've all got weaknesses. It's just about how you exploit them. And then when you do get your chances, make sure you put them away. Jesse, you watch more League Effa than I do. How do you think Barca have looked this season? I've actually been quite impressed with how Ingrid Engen has had to play at centre-back. She's actually done a decent job because when I first saw that at the start of the season, I was like, whoa, it's giving a disaster. But actually, she's done really well. She's held her own. But how do you think they are looking this season compared to seasons gone by and like their dominance recently? I mean, in Spain, they are like totally dominant. They're playing pub teams. Well, they're, <laughs> they're not in some ways. But like, I think actually they feel further ahead in Spain this season than maybe they have in other seasons. I can't really put my finger on, is that Barcelona being better or is there sort of been a little bit of a downturn? I do think when you look at where teams like Real Sociedad or Levante were maybe a year or two ago compared to where they are now... They feel like they've dropped off. Obviously, we've already talked about Real Madrid and Atleti are also in kind of a weird place. But I think it is obviously very impressive because Alexia's not really played this season. And I think it's fair to say we haven't seen her get back anywhere near to her pre-ACL form. Um, obviously, Mappy Leon's picked up a big injury. And as you said, they've sort of had to have this makeshift centre-back pairing. Irena Paredes has also missed quite a lot of game time. So I think to that extent, being able to have players you know, step into those roles and do well has been really important, I think. I actually kind of am enjoying Aitana more this season than I did last season, but I know we had to all get on the, like, Aitana wins every award campaign last season. But she looked, she's looked unreal in the Champions League. Yeah, I think she's, I think she's having almost a stronger season this year. Um, and Caroline Graham Hansen, when she's fit, she's just unplayable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think they have just so much depth and talent um, that even when they miss big players, you know, especially in attacking areas, they find there's always, it feels like there's always someone ready to like pop up and, and make an impact. And we've seen that with some of the younger players who've also like had the opportunity to get minutes, um, like Vicky Lopez, who is someone who I just think is so, so impressive given her age. I also think, and I think the Benfica game is a really interesting example of this, is the more teams play against Barcelona the more you find ways and you learn ways of where you think their weaknesses are. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to like win against them necessarily, but I do think it's interesting that over time, just with great sports teams, stuff changes and the perception of them changes. Like uh, the Australia women's cricket team lost a T20 to South Africa the first time ever in their history. And like that kind of process that maybe Barcelona might be potentially going through over the next couple of years is something Australia women's cricket is going through where they've just dominated, dominated, dominated. And it was like, no one would ever be able to beat them. And suddenly you, you do start to see that changes because that's the reality of the changing landscape of sport. I think Man City men are having that this season as well. I think they don't look, they're untouchable and they just come off the back of winning everything literally mm. last year. So yeah, I think it's really hard to maintain that perfection. I said my prediction was Barcelona to win the Champions League. I still think that's going to happen. Jilly, I don't think you were on our prediction app, but who do you think is going to win the Champions League? Hicken. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Talk about a hipster. I mean, what? they scammed their way out of the group, so I would yeah. love to see them scam their way to, to a title. <laughs> title. Um, no, I think Barcelona as well. Yeah. I think, yeah, they're just too strong. I, I would love the fairy tale of Chelsea doing it um, in Emma's last year, but I just, I don't know. Yeah, Jesse, when we did our like sort of preview app, that was pre-Emma Hayes 
leaving. So has anything changed for you? Because I think you went for Chelsea on that, didn't you? I think maybe, you did. I think I you, were in a, you were in a hopeful mood. It depends what kind of mood you're in. Sometimes yeah. you're like, no, I can never bet for them. Uh, I have to bet against them. But I think you were feeling hopeful then. But has the Emma stuff changed your mind or like made you feel like it's, it's actually going to be, they've got a better chance? I do think the Emma stuff is obviously, will be a boost. The other thing that has changed though since then is Sam Kerr. Mm. And I do wonder if in potentially the biggest games that I just think will be a real miss. I know right now, I think we've we've obviously talked about how she's a miss, but I just think she's such a clutch player. And for example, we've seen LJ stepping up, scoring some amazing goals. I would love for LJ to be that player for us this season, but I don't know if she's there yet. And I think that's okay. Like that's a very big kind of role to step into. I think my view on the Champions League has always been it really depends on the draw. If there is a world where Barcelona and Lyon were the two who would match up in the semi-finals, I think that massively increases Chelsea's chance. Obviously, just because one of them would have to go and Barcelona have historically really struggled against Lyon. But yeah, I don't know. If Chelsea had to sort of do similar to what they had last year and play both of those teams, I, I think that would be... It would be very, very impressive for them to do it. But of course, they've got the ability to do it. I just think it will be really hard. Yeah, a lot of it is going to depend on the draw. Draw is next Tuesday, 12pm UK time. It's a very top-heavy pot situation. So we've got pot one with like European classics, Barcelona, Lyon, PSG, Chelsea. We've got pot two, the hipsters, the cool kids, Benfica, Bran, Ajax and Hecken, it's a very top-heavy situation, so it's going to be really interesting what comes out. But all those pot one teams will think, ah, oh, this is looking glorious now for us to try and definitely get to the semi-final. But we'll wait and see. So let's talk about some of the other big things from this week. WSL transfer deadline day next. Okay, one big story that I want to talk about was Manchester City's deadline day youngster recruitment purge in uh, late night signings of Laura Blinkilda Brown, Poppy Pritchard and Taro Hanlon all in one day. The Blinkilda Brown stuff had been linked ever since the Jill Rod news really that, that had started being reported. Very highly rated England youngster we've talked about on the show before in our sort of next gen episode. She's played really well when she's played for Villa but hasn't always managed to cement herself in the team look to sometimes as someone to come in when they've got injury issues City have matched a release clause of £200,000 which feels massive for a player of her age but the potential is there Jilly what did you make of this real barrage of recruitment from City? Well, I think even just seeing the £200,000, I was just like, wow. I Not was, in my day. <laughs> I was signed for 10 grand, guys. You know what I mean? You get a bargain. <laughs> but no, I do. I think it's, I just think I still, maybe, maybe it's because I've been involved in it and I just find it really hard still to see that figure linked. And I think that just shows how much the game has grown. You know, that the, the those figures are getting thrown around. I do think at Villa, though, I think, I really like her, uh, Blinkle, when I do. I think she's a really good uh, young talent. And I do think sometimes when you play in a team where you've, obviously, if you're Villa, you've signed Kenza Dali, you've signed Jordan Nobbs. I've been involved in teams where when a club's paid money for a player who probably is on decent wages, there's sort of a thing where they have to play. 
Do you know what I mean? So like, I think always she was always going to play second fiddle to them because they've come in, they're paying them a certain amount of money. Do you know what I mean? She's got a carnival's got to prove why she signed them. So I think she's probably found it hard. But I do think when she's played, I think in in time she's been better than what's already been there. She's been creative. She brings a lot of energy into there. She's a young. I think like with young players now, when you watch them, they've got no fear. Mm. I think where especially like maybe senior players, they do have that fear of sometimes playing forward because it could get intercepted. Whether young players, they don't. They just get it and they play what they see or that they be brave of it. But yeah, I just still think the 200,000 like credit to Villa, you know, you've, you've stuck that in and it's it's, it's, worked. it's worked and you've got 200,000 for a youngster that you can reinvest in into your team. Like we spoke obviously off the pod is that Villa don't have anything to really challenge for this year. So you take your money and you go and invest it into the team. Chelsea have the goalkeeper hoarding allegations. Do you think City have a little bit of like youngster hoarding allegations now? Because the biggest question mark is are these players going to get game time? Because we've seen it with Ruby Mace, who deserves to start on a WSL team and has before and done well. Jess Park not playing a whole lot now. It's important to build for the future, but like maybe less so Pritchard and O'Hanlon. But these uh, Blinkilda Brown is someone who, who could start for a team. I think City would have to fight off Chelsea and United on the sort of youngster hoarding allegations. I think realistically, that's the way the transfer market is going like I think the the fee on Laura Blinkilda Brown shows you the way teams currently view like potential and now it comes with a cost and I think that's also why you see teams moving for players like Pritchard and Hanlon because they then want them in and they feel like there'll be a market for those players you know that's what I think Chelsea have done that's what I think United are trying to do but maybe a little bit less successfully I think the question sort of on how much Blinkilda Brown plays will be interesting because I think she doesn't feel like a like for like for Jill Rod at all. Um, regardless of her talent, I think she's a lot more someone who feels more of a box to box player than what Rod's done really well, which I think is like getting into the penalty area and being there for cutbacks, for balls bouncing around and being able to create and score opportunities from there. So to that extent, I think it will be interesting to see whether Blink Kilda Brown is used in that way. I think like lots of young English players coming through, she is a very versatile player. So maybe that's just not what she was sort of really being asked to do at Villa this year. Maybe we'll be able to see a bit more from her. But I do think it was interesting that Jess Park came on for Laura Coombs in the game against Spurs because I think she's a much better fit for that kind of play if Taylor's going to ask her to do that. I think with Taylor, he's very wedded to a starting eleven. And he wants them to play them every week. I get that. City have had injury problems in the past. They've like landed on a style of play that I think relies a lot on individual ability, but they're really good doing it. Can he develop as a manager to be someone who does rotate and brings younger players in and gives them opportunities? I'm not sure. I think we'll obviously have to wait and see and we'll, we'll get answers around that with the Rod absence. You know, he's going to have to make a change. But is it going to be that Laura Coombs and Philippa Angledale now play every week? I'd probably put my money more towards that, to be honest. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because they've had a young player in Julie Blackstad leave them in the window too, which kind of shows that, you know, there are players who maybe do feel like 
stuff's not working out for them. Ruby Mace is out of contract at the end of the season. It, it'll be interesting to see whether she moves on as a result because it's all well and good bringing the young players in. But can you convince them that there's a pathway at the club? Because the problem is players start to think there isn't they won't come. Yeah, and I think I think lots of clubs have suffered from that. So that's why Mace left Arsenal in the first place because she felt like there wasn't a path. Unfortunately, that path's been blocked once again. But I, I definitely think there's a place for her at a WSL side. My question would also be like, why aren't the bottom half of the table appealing enough for some of those more experienced players to come over and leave when they're a bubble player? case in point Mason Park like those I think Park you know she's been at City for a while now but like you know she's a youngster who's come up through the academy etc but like I want players to feel like there is a reason whether it's financial setup resources to leave to get senior game time to get yourself back in the England picture when it comes to Chess Park rather than feel like actually I'm better off taking a bigger check at somewhere like Man City I do think though agents have a lot to play in this because I think if they're at the top end of the clubs, i.e. Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City, and they're sitting on the bench, they're probably getting a decent paycheck to sit on the bench. You will get someone potentially come in, Liverpool, for example, or you know anyone else, Brighton, lower in the lower part of the table, who won't be able to match what they're getting sitting on the bench. So I remember when I was at Chelsea, well, when I'd left at Chelsea, the next year a player had, wanted to come to West Ham and wanted the same money that she was getting sitting on the bench at Chelsea, not playing. And it would have took her over, well over what uh, the highest played player was. Like No one was even near that region at West Ham. How do you warrant that? And, that's, and I do think it's difficult because I do think when... It's different for me. I think when I when I left both Chelsea and when I left both West Ham, I just wanted to play football. I would have took... Well, I did, I did take less than what I was at Chelsea when I went to West Ham. I took a huge pay cut because for me, I just wanted to play. I couldn't sit on the bench for much longer. I do think the agents coming into the game has changed things a lot because I think they'll say to a player, well, hold on, you sit there, you can get your money or no, are you, right, we're going to have a player for Man City to get offered to Liverpool, but we want 75000 or whatever a year. Like, obviously, I don't know how much the wages have changed, but club like Liverpool might struggle to pay that for someone who's been sitting on the bench. So it's sort of like, it's hard, I think. It's tough as well, right? Because players are going to be naturally sort of competitive and ambitious. You know, if you're Jess Park, you're at City because you believe you can break into the team. And like, that's the attitude that you want Mm. a player Mm. to have in some ways. That's why it kind of feels like a catch-22. You don't really want a young player to be like, oh, I'm not going to make it at City, so I'm going to go and sign for Leicester. You want them to be in the position. And then you look at someone like, for example, Aggie Beaver Jones, who, to be honest, hasn't played a huge amount more than Jess Park, but kind of because she's got like goals and stuff it feels like she's much more well integrated in the Chelsea team but like she bet on herself like she had offers from other clubs like when while she was at Everton and she was like no I'm gonna go back to Chelsea and she's had like good moments and she's got a contract extension as a result I think you you do want younger players to say like I'm gonna give this a shot I think the question is is how long can you wait for that moment to yeah come? the waiting it out is so tough especially when the bigger teams are always going to be padding out squads for for Europe etc and now you look at a situation like Arsenal where they've got to keep lots of players happy that's why Cole went to Everton Geo where is she no one's seen her in months she's at Madrid like, like you know there's it's just it's a whole situation where people are kind of trying to work out and play that game of chicken of like when am I going to get a game 
two signings which I think took us all a little bit by surprise. We'll quickly finish on. Two Welsh players, Lily Woodham, going from Championship side Reading to Seattle in the NWSL. And Anne Harrod James, going from Tottenham to the NWSL. She's been in the NWSL before playing for the Courage, so she kind of knows the setup of the league. It does feel like agent Jess Fishlock was on the case here on the recruiting mission, but it feels a little bit random with the players that have been picked. For me, I mean, I was. I saw the James one initially, um, and I did think, obviously, I know it didn't work out for them, um, obviously, for her and obviously Amy Turner in America for whatever reason. Obviously, they then come out of their contracts and then come back to the, the WSL. But obviously, she's she has been playing at Tottenham too. You're looking at obviously her and Amy Turner are now married. They've uh, got a coffee, They've got a coffee, coffee venture. Won't someone think of the coffee shop? <laughs> yeah, so it's just sort of, and I know it's obviously it's not just around the corner, you know. So there is a, that upheaval. But again, if you are a player that is getting older, I mean, you're getting a a bit more security, maybe a better paycheck for the next couple of years, then you're not going to turn that down. The Lily Wooden one did surprise me because obviously she's a. Reading is playing the championship. Obviously, yes, she does play for Wales, but obviously going to Seattle, I was just a bit surprised by it really because obviously she's not playing in the WSL. And obviously I know she was at Reading, she was their captain. Obviously they had a lot of change and upheaval at Reading. But for me, I think that one just surprised me the most because she's not playing in the top league in England. But I do think Jess Fishlock has probably had a, a say in, in getting her over there. And to be fair, with how bleak the situation is at Reading across the men's and women's side, I'd get out of that place as soon oh, as. Oh, it's a great So it's, it's an unbelievable move for, move for her. Like I'm sure it's a good payday as well. So... That's off to her. Good luck. Yeah, it's. I think it's really been interesting seeing sort of... It does feel like there's more NWSL to Europe back and forth. Mm. I still don't think the NWSL has quite got to the point where it's attracting like the best players from Europe. I do feel like lots of clubs in Europe have used it as maybe an opportunity to offload players who they were happy to have go, like Fleming, Dana, even I think Oshwala hasn't been announced, but like that's very heavily rumoured to be happening as well. Um, Feli Rauch is maybe the biggest of the lot to kind of go in terms of someone who was like a proper regular starter for a club. It feels like players are taking that opportunity a lot more seriously. And I don't know whether that, as well that's an interesting effect of like the increase in wages like across the women's game, like being able to feel like, yeah, I've like, been paid well at this club and that makes me feel like comfortable that I can go and take like a bit of a professional like not risk necessarily but try something new and I'm going to get paid well there and I'm going to be able to set up my life in this different country that's really far away you know it feels like maybe that like sort of financial shift is also making players seemingly be more willing to go to America from Europe and vice versa. And I think there's new teams, new projects which is exciting, new money which is always going to be you know like new signings coming in big potential earnings and I think I think that's hard for some teams in Europe to compete with who may not have like the depth of salary and I think Europe's always lucked out that it's had like the strength of the Champions League to lean on and especially in England we've got tons of cup competitions like the Challenge Cup hasn't quite worked out to be what a lot of fans hoped it with with this other like exciting competition to lead and I think that's always given Europe that advantage saying look at all these cups you can play and you're going to play Champions League play best of the best whereas the NWSL is kind of crafting itself as like this kind of big, exciting startup with new teams, big brands, like big internationals, especially in, like from a North American point of view. And that could be its own 
whole little attractive prospect. We better go, uh, but it's been fun chatting Champions League and transfer with you all. You off to a game Peace. at the weekend, Julie? <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm doing BBC on the weekend. I'm doing West Ham Arsenal. Oh, see you there. A classic. Back up in the gantry. Hopefully it's not windy. Oh, on, yeah. On yeah. That's true. I probably won't see you. I'll wave. I'll wave to you. <laughs> wave to the press box. <laughs> From far away. I'll be the one eating a pot noodle. <laughs> <laughs> also, actually, a better shout out now. We're going to be doing another Valentine's Day special. So if you would like to share with us any kind of agony aunt love stories that you need advice with or some lovely football love stories that we can just read out or even for the first time this year, we're going to try and do some listener matchmaking. So if Ooh. you are single and ready to mingle with another Counterpress <laughs> listener, I'm going to be sharing a Google form on the Counterpress feed, on my own feed. I'll try and get the guys to share it as well. In that Google form, you can fill out all the respective bits. So if you want a bit of advice, if you want to just share a lovely story, or if you do want to try and be match made by wow. us, please fill that out. You can be, it can be anonymous. There's options there. You don't need to like share any details unless you want to. Uh, so please keep your eyes peeled because we would love a counterpressed ma- wedding. Imagine, Who will be the counterpressed? Imagine counter-pressed we had a counterpressed wedding. wedding and the counterpressed babies. Who's going to be the first wow. counterpressed baby? So come on, help us out. Incredible. And we loved doing the Valentine's Day ep last year. We know it's like one of some listeners' favourite episodes. So yeah, please get in touch. But for now, we will see you on Monday. Hold up. 